All right. In the meantime, um, let's. So everyone is through where now? M. N. Notes for the ill-starred novel. Okay. Good. Um, everyone else through M at least. I'm looking at you individually. Yes. M and M. Good. Um, so. Here are some of the things. I thought we'd, what we'd do is just try to list all the things Ephraim could be. Um, so what do we have so far? He could be their child. Yeah, good. Um, so this is Rembrandt's painting of Jacob blessing Ephraim and Manasseh um, and crossing his hands to do it. Um, so the, um, to the extent that one of the things burning at some level in J.M.'s skull or in J.M. and D.J.'s skull is a memory of Rembrandt, um, that can give you some sense of why Ephraim is Ephraim. That is, to the extent that you do not take this poem literally, which would be, remember we talked about several times the idea that a work should be the best work it possibly could be, um, that that should be um, a major principle of interpretation. Um, what makes this poem better? If they believe really that Ephraim is a familiar spirit talking to them from another world and that they are the um, two people in the history of humanity that Ephraim chose to talk to, um, or if he is somehow all sorts of things um, developing out of their lives, um, including their lives as writers. That is, it's not that they're living lives and they happen to write. What they are is writers. Um, what J.M. Pre preeminently is, is a writer. Um, so which makes it better if Ephraim is something that comes out of their lives or if Ephraim is just, they happen to start messing around with a Ouija board, and lucky them, um, they were contacted by the most amazing spirit who ever contacted anyone through an Ouija board. What, which one for you makes this better? <laughs> which, that it's, yeah, that it's, that it's um, coming out of their lives. Yeah. yeah. The, I think the undeniable possibility of both. The undeniable possibility of both, but then the question. You know, I mean, just like in *Eternal Screw*. Yeah. Okay. Good. If you if you completely write it off and say there's no possible way that there's anything genuine about the experience they're having, you I think you lose a part of the wonder of the world that he's describing for them, which I think was one of the fascinating things for me was I tried to try to figure out the rules of the world. Right. He's explaining. Yeah, it's actually that this is something we're going to talk about because he's incredibly careful yeah. not to give you. Um, the rules that you need to know. Not in a lucid way. Not like in a lucid can, you can way. Pick yeah. Up clues from things. He yeah, says and we'll look at some of those. Um, but okay, let's what what let let's just take a quick poll. Um, do you? And this is not the question. Do you want Ephraim to be real or not? Our lives would probably be better if Ephraim were real. That would be a great thing to know that there is this fantastic familiar spirit in the other world and also that when you died it wasn't curtains for good, um, but that it was just um, 
um, um, moment where um, you were off stage for a while and then come back on stage. And plus, wouldn't it be great if the people you got to meet in the other world were just so dashing and debonair and wonderful and witty and wise and everything else that they are um, as, the, as the people in the Book of Ephraim? So our own preference, I think, would be, I think, I could be wrong, but I think our preference would be um, given a choice between this being true, literally true, and you die and that's it forever, um, is I think we would prefer this to be literally true. Um, that reincarnation followed eventually by promotion into another world full of witty people. Yeah, we'd prefer that to be literally true. I mean, wouldn't you? Is there anyone who would just rather have it all be over the end? All right. Um, if that were the choice, there may be other afterlives you would prefer to this one. But still, if that were a choice, um, that would, I think, be a literal choice that we would prefer. Um, but if um, you're asking, what makes this a better poem? J.M. believing that it's literally true, or J.M. not believing that it's literally true, or not simply, to follow up on what Ben said, not simply believing that it's liter literally true. Um, on the whole, probably not believing that it's literally true. Um, if you ask which makes it a better poem, which would you prefer the poem to be? So it's not a question about what you would prefer life to be. It's a question about what you would prefer the poem to be. Um, it's like asking, maybe it could be similar since you nicely brought up Turn of the Screw, um, wondering, would we be happy or not to learn that someone had just discovered, actually the Kathy Lawrence who works on such things, um, had just, dis is anyone taking her James class? Um, you know, by the way, the, the novelist Calm Toybin, you've probably gotten 25 emails about it because they're very embarrassed by how many famous people they bring here that no one goes to, um, no one shows up to, and the famous people come here to Brandeis, and they said, I thought I was famous till I came to Brandeis. Um, so, um, and you know that, she's, that he wrote a novel about Henry James. Um, Henry James is the main character in his novel. Um, which is a kind of daring thing to do. Um, and maybe that's the best thing you can say about that novel, is it's very daring. Um, well, I mean, really, it's, 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 it's hubristic, let's put it. Um, it would be a really good novel if it weren't about Henry James. Um, but if you've read Henry James and then you read Calm Toybin's version of Henry James, you're just kind of wondering. Um, sorry? I'll tell him you said that. Um, okay. <laughs> it's fine with me. What can he do to me? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but um, uh, Kathy Lawrence is then going to have a conversation with him after he reads um, because she's a Henry James expert. Um, so imagine that Kathy Lawrence um, found a letter um, in some obscure library and in it, James wrote something like, Dear William, to his brother, you have asked um, whether the ghosts exist or whether it's a governess's hallucination. I must confess that I never thought that this would be um, an ambiguity for anyone. Of course, the truth is, and that's the teaser. And then you have to click on a link and pay 4 dollars 
to get what the truth is. Um, but that Henry James wrote a letter where he said to the person who, to whom he always told the truth, that is his brother William, um, what the truth of Turn of the Screw was. Would you prefer that that letter existed or not? Um, so I'm hoping that after all the time we spent on Turn of the Screw, our preference would be that he never wrote that kind of letter. That a letter in which he says the truth about the Turn of the Screw, that would be really like, oh no. Um, didn't you see what you were doing? Well, I guess you weren't really doing it. I think that's what our response would be. Um, some people would be delighted, but I think in general, um, our response might be what my response to Ridley Scott's director's cut of Blade Runner is. Do people know about this? Um, well, in the original version of Blade Runner, um, there is um, some ambiguity about whether Deckard is a replicant or not. Um, you don't need to know who Deckard is, except that his name is based on Descartes, or what a replicant is, except that basically it's an android, but he may not know that he's an android. Um, so there's some ambiguity about what, he doesn't know. If he's an android, he doesn't know it. There's some ambiguity about whether he's a replicant or not. Um, then, in order to make money, Ridley Scott released the director's cut um, about five years later, and in the director's cut, there's no ambiguity. You find out the truth. Um, and I think the director's cut is much worse just because of that. I really wish Ridley Scott hadn't um, released the director's cut, but it also made me think, so he's the director, that doesn't give him final say about what's happening in the movie because, because they're writers, they're um, actors, they're lots of different things, um, and the director isn't the, quite the author of a movie the way Henry James is the author of Turn of the Screw. Um, so there are cases where we may prefer not to know the truth. Um, because we may prefer for the author not to have a truth or to intentionally and completely and absolutely withhold the truth. So similarly, um, would we want to know that Merrill believed in these spirits? Let's say that on his deathbed, um, a priest came in or a minister, he was Protestant, a minister came in and said, you're about to die, do you want any rituals performed over you? And he said, yes, I really, really do, but not by you, I need an Ouija board. Um, and in his last breath, or the last motions that he was able to make, um, he insisted on repenting his sins um, to Ephraim on the Ouija board. Would we be happy to learn that he did that? Maybe biographically, that would be like a cool anecdote. Um, but I think it would I think it would detract from the poem to think that he believed this was literally true. Um, but I do like Ben's idea of possibility. That is, that um, it's clear that he keeps the possibility open, um, but he keeps it open for just the reasons we were seeing at the end of section I, which is the point was never to forego in favor of plain, dull proof the marvelous nightly pudding. In other words, proof, either way, would ruin it. If Ephraim is just, oh yeah, we invented this character and it's kind of like, um, uh, what's that damn epigram of Wilde's, I'm so tired of hearing my best patient's parrot, according to Tom, the shrink, the ex-shrink. Do you remember this in section I? Um, Let's look at I. Um, actually, we say in English, I guess, let's look at me. <laughs> okay, I. 
I'd rather skip this part. Yeah, I can see that. They were supposed to bring it back up for you early in the morning? Yeah, Allie brought the book home, home for me. But you... She left it somewhere. Oh, so you don't know where. Okay. Um, I'd rather skip this part, but courage. What we dream up must be lived down, I think. I went to my ex-shrink with the whole story right through the miscarriage of plans for Joselito. Um, he got born to uh, Virginia West in state asylum. Um, so who was he supposed to be born to? Do you remember the end of F? DJ's like somebody related to him. Yeah, it's, um, he, DJ has word from an ex-roommate. Um, this is at the end of F. It's, you don't have to turn to it. Um, but um, I mentioned my niece Betsy. Diaz had word from an ex-roommate named Fad, whose wife Jin, that will be Virginia West, a skier and Phi Bait is on the nest. Ephraim delighted causes time to fly, for he is hesitant to slip the souls like correspondence into pigeonholes until he hears out of the womb forthcoming late in the sixth month a melodious, hum, a melodious humming, which heard there would do much to clarify another year's abortion talks in Rome. Why? What would that mean? Why will the melodious humming clarify abortion talks? Yeah? Yeah, that's that around the end, late in the sixth month um, is when the fetus is then inhabited by a soul. That's what the powers that be wait for. So you have biological development for um, something like six months or five and a half months, and then you have the moment of reincarnation in the literal sense of incarnation. What incarnation means is being put into flesh, um, incarnate. Um, and so the flesh develops in an animal way for five and a half months, let's say, um, roughly what the Supreme Court said in Roe versus Wade. And then at that point, the soul is put into the developing body. And if we only knew that, um, then the question of the morality of abortion could easily be solved. Um, and sure enough, soon after Labor Day, not only he of Gopping, who's he of Gopping? Gopping Simpson, remember? Help, oh, save me. So Simpson, Gopping, he's given to short, violent lives, and Ephraim is very upset that he can't get him into a decent um, family. It's like trying to get into a decent school. He can't get him into a decent family so that he has a running start on life and may um, eventually learn something about how to live so that um, he stops having such terrible lives because he just keeps flunking out, dying very young um, in really stupid ways. So um, sure enough, soon after Labor Day, not only he of Gopping, but get this, Hans is Joselito, who drinks lye at the 11th hour, so little Joselito has committed suicide, it's drunk lie, are at home, one in Virginia, one in Beatrice. So that's great. Virginia and his nephew Beatrice, they both have these, these um, 
two reincarnated souls, but now something's gone wrong. There was the miscarriage of plans for Joselito. What's the um, amazing enjambment to give you the um, answer to the question in the way I ask it, kind of like Final Jeopardy? What's the amazing enjambment at the end of the first stanza? Yes? Yeah, so it's a metaphorical use of the word miscarriage. Um, we do talk about the miscarriage of our plans, um, but what that always means is a metaphorical use of a miscarriage in pregnancy. Um, so they too have had a miscarriage, JM and DJ, a miscarriage of their plans for Joselito. Why? He got born to a Virginia West in state asylum. D2 late recalls Jin's real name, Jennifer Marie. Um, so his roommate has a wife named Jin. He thinks Jin will be short for Virginia. Um, turns out, nope, it's short for Jennifer Marie. Yeah. I, I like the idea that the spirits have like some giant phone book with like a yeah. list of names. That yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Virginia, exactly. Virginia, yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just Googling, um, proto-Googling of Virginia West. Who is that? Oh, there, good. Got it. It's a little bit like A Midsummer Night's Dream. That is, it's a little bit like the moment in the Midsummer Night's Dream where Puck is told to put love potion on the Athenian boy's eyes, the Athenian youth's eyes, but he sees the wrong Athenian youth. Psych, it's the wrong youth. Um, so in the same way, um, yeah, bizarrely <laughs> mistaken, um, as though they do have a phone book. That's exactly right. Um, why does... D think that Jin is Virginia for the purposes of the poem, if not for the purposes of his psychology? Virginia. Where does the name come from? Virginia. Virgin. Yeah, we have a little state called Virginia. Um, why is the state of Virginia called Virginia? Anyone know? Queen. Which queen? Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Virgin Queen. Yes. Um, why is Elizabeth the Virgin Queen? She didn't marry. Yeah. Um, it's, it's what um, Joan Rivers said of Doris Day. I knew her before she was a virgin. Um, people knew Queen Elizabeth before she was a virgin also. So why did she become a virgin in, um, when she was Queen to of England? To win over the church. To win over the church so that she could be the Protestant version of whom? The Virgin Mary. So Elizabeth's virginity and Mary's virginity are huge theologic, political and theological um, um, gestures, um, uh, moves. Um, so the idea of someone named Virginia, um, if you trace back that name to its origin, its origin is the Virgin Mary. That is, Virginia is named after the Virgin Queen, who is a Virgin Queen, so that she can compete as an object of um, religious cult feelings with um, the Virgin Mary. Um, so why, to cut a very long chain of inferences short, why, for the purposes of the poem, is um, this reference to the Virgin Mary there? Yeah. I mean, because of the annunciation and like putting in Jesus into the Virgin Mary's body. Yeah. Yeah, and what's the enunciation? Explain to people. Um, you know what I'm um, An angel came to Mary 
and like, not just any angel. Gabriel. Gabriel came to Mary and like impregnated her with Jesus. How did he do it? Yeah, with the word. But no, no, it's a dove. Yeah, the, but the dove, the dove is the Holy Spirit, um, and the Spirit comes with the word. The basic idea is Gabriel comes to Mary and says, "You're a virgin, but you are going to give birth um, as a virgin. You're going to give birth to um, the Messiah, essentially." And telling her that is the moment. It's like, let there be light, and there was light. Gabriel's annunciation, announcement, that she, though a virgin, will be pregnant and give birth, is itself the moment of conception. So it's a mental conception, a spiritual conception, which is also an incarnation, the incarnation of the Son of God within the virgin mother. So, of course, we have gestures, um, they're, they're done with great tact in the Book of Ephraim, but gestures to the most cosmic of religious traditions. Um, if you didn't get the point, does it matter then what Virginia, what Jin's real name is? What, what does her real name turn out to be? Jennifer Marie. Jennifer what? Marie. Marie. Yeah. So do you think Jennifer Marie and Thad really exist? No. Um, the whole point is there is no Virginia West. There is no Jennifer Marie. These names are picked for their meaning. Beatrice doesn't exist either. Why Beatrice? Dante's love interest. Yeah, Dante's love interest who hangs out with the Virgin Mary in the highest levels of paradise um, where they talk about how important it is that Dante should be saved, among other things. Um, why Jennifer? Does anyone know? Where the name Jennifer comes from? Guinevere. Yeah. All right. Did you know that, or are you guessing? No, I knew that. You knew, you knew that. Okay, good. Um, Guinevere, which then complicates things um, interestingly, but interestingly, that is, again, gives this, um, if not quite cosmic importance, something like legendary importance. So... The following week, I'll scarcely dare ask after Betsy, but her childhood seems outdoes the wildest dreams of patrons. Shoo! And later went through fair silk bangs at six months. Wendell peers up at me. So here's Wendell. Who, I mean, who's Wendell? The nephew. The nephew who is, um, who in the original um, minister, ministerial duties of DJ and JM. Gopping Simpson. So now Gopping Simpson is born as JM's nephew, Wendell. Um, and Wendell is going to, of course, be the main... Well, you don't know this, so I'm going to tell you. Um, Wendell is going to be the main figure of Section W um, when he is a student bumming around Europe for a year. Um, W for Wendell, W for when. Um, so, and later went through fair silk bangs. At six months, Wendell peers up at me. What are such serene blue eyes for but to recognize? However, we have meddled, and the powers are furious. And here we can ask, what powers? 
What, do you, what, what does he mean the powers are furious? We tend not to ask that because we're just so interested in him as the interesting figure, authority figure from the other world, the guide who knows to answer the questions we hadn't wit enough to ask. But this is the first time really that we hear about controlling powers in the other world. Powers who um, are putting Ephraim in the corner. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a reference to uh, Paradise Lost, the power. Good. Isn't that what they call God? Um, Lost? They don't, but um, the what the angels in Paradise Lost are called, do you remember? No, you weren't there. Um, who's read Paradise Lost? <laughs> what, what's that look? I don't remember. Thrones, dominations, princedoms, virtues, powers. All those are the different classes. Orders of angels, angels, yes. Thrones, dominations, princedoms, virtues, powers. Um, later there's going to be a reference um, if you just um, look at section Y for a second or you don't have to look I can um, just tell I can just read it to you. Um, years have gone by section Y begins years have gone by how often in their course I've done for people bits of this story hoping for what response from each in turn. Tom's analytic cool. So who's Tom? Backstreet. Yeah. So hence his analytic cool because he's a psychoanalyst. He's, he's um, JM's analyst. Tom's analytic cool. Allison's shrewd silence. Allison is a real person. Can anyone guess? You may not know um, her name. Um, but she's the writer Allison Lurie. Have people heard of her? Her most famous book is the one called The War Between the Tates, which was made into a movie starring, I think, Bruce Dern. Um, and she wrote another book called Foreign Affairs, um, which I think won the Pulitzer when they gave Pulitzer Prizes to novels, which they seem not to anymore. Um, so she's a real person. After JM and DJ died, she um, wrote a kind of memoir about them in which she said, um, I can't stand, basically what she said is, I can't stand the fact that people thought they were, that J.M. was a better writer than I was. This was really all silly. Um, how can you think someone is a great writer when they believe in all this other world stuff? I mean, he could have been great, but he just, you know, all this other world stuff. Um, so she is kind of a jerk. Um, I know her. She is kind of a jerk. <laughs> sort of a Paul McCartney, John Lennon kind of thing. Yeah. Wait till he's dead and then take all the credit. Right, exactly. <laughs> or... So hoping for what, for what response from each in turn, Tom's analytic cool, Allison's shrewd silence, or Milton's ghastly on-the-spot conversion, complete with rival spirit and breakdown not long afterwards in Truth or Consequences, which is a town in New Mexico, some of you probably know. You didn't know that? Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Google it. Google Maps, yeah. Um, I thought the TV show Truth or Consequences was named after the town, but it turns out no. Um, the TV show offered a million dollars to any town in the United States that would um, officially change their name to Truth or Consequences. And so this little nothing town in New Mexico did it, and now you can look on the map and there's a town named after a TV show. Um, <laughs> they don't, but because once you're a municipality, it's yours forever. <laughs> um, and I don't think Truth or Consequences of the TV show would mind if other towns um, also copied them. 
like, well, there's truth or consequences Massachusetts, and truth or consequences New York, and of course, truth or consequences Utah, uh, where everyone tells the truth and the consequences never come. Um, so, um, but Milton is not a real person. So Milton's ghastly, on-the-spot conversion. So he thinks if you believe this, that's ghastly. Complete with rival spirit and breakdown not long afterwards in truth of consequences. So why does he pick the name Milton? Milton, no, not Milton Friedman. No, not Milton Friedman. What do you call You said him? The Economist. Milton. No, 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 I said Divine Comedy. Oh, the, you mean Dante. That, yeah, Dante, I'm sorry. I, what do you yeah. call him? John Milton. John Milton, Paradise sorry, Lost. Hence, Thrones, all Dominations, all Princeton's... Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Thrones, Dominations, Princeton's <laughs> Virtues, Powers. Yes. It's, oh, it's a reference to John Milton, the other J.M. that one might first think of if someone said, I was reading the poet J.M. in a postcard. Um, someone might, wouldn't, the first person they would think of would not be James Merrill. It would be John Milton. Um, so haunting initials to have if you're James Merrill, if you're a poet. Um, so um, the powers are furious. Hans, in Dutch and Grimm, may send no further word. Um, does someone have the edition with the um, illustrations in the, in the front? Didn't someone have it? Um, the photos, someone did, but I guess, do you, yeah. Um, so can you show people the, the silhouette? So on the top right is the silhouette of Hans. Remember he has his silhouette done. Um, does everyone see that? Um, that's in the, that's, will also be in the Q part of, of Merrill, of, um, the Book of Ephraim. Um, okay, so Hans, in Dutch and Grimm, may send no further word. Ephraim, they've brought before a kind of court and thrown the book. The good book? Yes, at him. So what's the good book? The Bible. The Bible, yeah. What does it mean to throw the book at someone? It's a legal thing, like, you know, throw everything. They're, yeah, every possible thing you can be accused of, you're being accused of. I'm going to throw the book at you. Yeah. Can I ask something? You can ask that and another question. Okay. Um, I sort of was wondering if part of the reason that all of these religious like overtones come in also is because the whole principle of the Ouija board is so against it. Like, isn't it like, kind of like selling spirits or something? Wouldn't that be really controversial in yeah, oh, it's totally controversial. But remember, they are, um, JM and DJ are people who, by virtue of the fact that they're living openly, um, they're being gay and living openly as gay um, in 1955, are not feeling, as we say in Hawaii, a lot of aloha for um, standard religious demands and practices. Um, I mean, there, it, this is just, th this came out in 1976. Um, Merrill's early poems, his early love poems, are um, pretty carefully gender neutral, um, addressed to yous rather than to he's. Um, but um, he, he never denied being gay. Um, and um, the way he put it, someone said, well, did you come out of the closet? And he said, 
Um, I don't think of myself as having come out of the closet. I think of the closet having collapsed around me and I was standing there. Um, And, um, you know, it's partly uh, the milieu that he lived in um, made it less dangerous than if he had come from an impoverished background to be openly gay even as a teenager. Um, But he was openly gay from the start. Um, and as I say, that means he's probably not going to feel very great. Neither of them is going to feel very great affection for standard religious doctrine of the sort that you get in the 1950s. Um, so, um, but now they've thrown the good book at Ephraim. So now we scare him with flippancies. Um, how do they scare him? They're making fun. Eph- Ephraim is saying, it's all really dangerous. And they're saying, oh, they threw the good book at you? Um, Ephraim, do you want to lose me? Well, you could. Agents can break our code to smithereens. Um, So Ephraim now sounds a little desperate. Agents can break our code to smithereens. Did we know they were talking in code? That agents could break those codes to smithereens? Does that quite make sense to you as as an idiom? Breaking a code to smithereens. I read it as shattering the the spoken communication between. Okay, yeah, the agreement between them. You could almost say that code. Um, breaking our code to smithereens. You break codes, or you break things into smithereens. Breaking codes into smithereens is a little odd, um, but now it's um, probably around 1950. Well, when was Wendell born? Um, Let's look at D. Um, Section D. Um, um, Born in 1937. I don't think Wendell's dates are given there. Um, 1956 is Wendell Tinkus. Oh, where's that? Simpson, Ephraim's representative. Oh, right, Reborn is Gopping, 55, and 1956 is Wendell Pinkus. So this is something like late 1956 now, early 1957. Let's say it's the end of 56, um, that, that he is born as Wendell Pinkus. What is the big thing that happened in science in the mid-50s? DNA. DNA, when? Anyone know? when the structure of DNA was figured out by Watson and Crick and Rosamond Franklin, let us never forget? Who is? Sorry? In the, like, 30s? No, 55. Oh. Okay, so um, what they figured out was the structure of the genetic what? Code. Code. Genetic code. Um... What kind of agents can break a genetic code to smithereens? Scientists. No, they're the ones who figured it out, but to break the code to smithereens, not to read it, but to break it. So if someone says, you know, the reason that we're concerned is that gene- your genetic code seems to have been broken. AIDS. No, okay, AIDS, but that's not till the 80s, yeah? Like against the fact that they're, I don't know, like they're 
you know, breaking, like, by saying that they're gay, it's going against it, and, like, they could say, oh, it's just something that's wrong in your, like, you're just messed up, like, that can't be real, like, that's, I don't know. Okay, yeah, um, what about, though, in the most literal sense? Um... Spies break codes, but if a genetic code is broken, so so let's say the genetic code, what? Nothing. Say it. I'm gonna say that like if a baby is born, I was thinking like that would take away that. Would, uh, like I was thinking that like genetic, like it wouldn't continue, like the DNA wouldn't get passed down. So okay, yeah, good. The genetics don't like the genetic code gets broken in a sense. Okay, I think that's good, and I think I think that's. Um, that's the idea of um, of sending it all down the generations. Yeah, breaking the code will break the sequence of the codes. Will break the reproduction of genes um, through um, through reprodu through reproduction through meiosis and recombination. Um, what else can break genetic codes? What agents can break genetic codes? Chemical agents. Chemical agents. Say more. Uh, you can use chemicals to alter genes to cause mutations. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of just snowballing. Um, yeah, no. Snowball. Snowball away. Um, <laughs> um, Go to section P. These are, I mean, every section's amazing, so um, let's just preface Powers that. of lightness, darkness. Yeah, powers that be. Um, look at the last verse paragraph on the left-hand page of the first page of P. Power then kicks upstairs those who possess it, the good and bad alike, asks J.M., finding it hard to believe that you can find in heaven people like Hitler and Caligula and Genghis Khan. So, power then kicks upstairs those who possess it, the good and bad alike. And then Ephraim has the amazing response, except for Mozart, whom love of earth, command of whose own powers, so innocent as to amount to scorn, have caused repeatedly to be reborn. So Mozart, like Robert Frost, prefers earth to any heaven. Remember, Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. Remember the end of Burgess? He wants to climb towards heaven, but then return to Earth. That's Mozart in this book. So everyone gets kicked upstairs eventually. That's what the powers do. The good and bad alike, except for Mozart, whom love of earth, command of whose own power, so innocent as to amount to scorn, have caused repeatedly to be reborn. Skipping all the stages? To be, um, he prefers live music to a patron's humdrum spheres. What's the joke on spheres there? Oh, like the, the department store. <laughs> Sears? No. Uh, <laughs> I love it when, the, when you have an insight and intuition. Got it! Yeah, totally makes sense. And you're just completely wrong. <laughs> Spheres.
Um, free associate, yeah. Like the globe. Like, you mean the globe theater? <laughs> no, is that what you mean? No, like the earth. The <laughs> earth, and what other spheres? Dante, scholars. Spheres, spheres yeah. Spheres. spheres of, like, groups of people or spheres of influence. And so, also in the Dante thing, there's, like, people who are grouped together in different parts of hell. Um, okay, has anyone read Paradiso? All right, you should for... Um, I guess not for tomorrow, for Monday. Um, not really, but you should. I mean, no, not really, but yeah, do it. <laughs> Go ahead, do it. Um, I would almost say, <laughs> no, I won't. You were going to say that instead of writing it. <laughs> yeah, I was. You're right, I was. <laughs> Rethink. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I think you would find writing a paper a lot easier, <laughs> believe me. However, um, Paradiso, how many people have read Inferno or know anything about it, have looked at Inferno? Have there's a comic book version, you know, a graphic, a graphic. Um, it's yeah, but still, <laughs> and you couldn't really call it a graphic novel because it's not a novel. But there's a graphic rendition. Um, Dante is obsessed by the number nine, and by the number three. Do people know this? Um, he actually thought when he was 81, when he was nine times nine years old, then he'd write something really good. Um, alas for him, he died at 57. Um, but um, so the Divine Comedy is a hundred cantos long, um, but the first one is an introduction. After that, it's ninety-nine. Um, it's in three parts, which are thirty-three cantos each. Um, in those in those three parts, there are nine stages. That the um, nine stages of hell, nine stages of purgatory, and nine stages of heaven. The nine stages of hell; those are the nine circles of hell that you may have heard of, first through ninth circle. Um, the ninth circle is the center of the earth where Satan um, is transfixed um, at the very center of the earth. Um, in purgatory, there are nine stages. In heaven, there are nine stages. Um, in heaven, those nine stages are the plan are the spheres of the different planets. So we go from the moon to um, Venus to the Sun to the other planets that were known um, to astronomy in Dante's time. Nine different spheres. Have you ever heard the phrase, here we'll do a little Mad Libs thing, blank, the blank of the spheres. What? The music of the spheres. The music of the spheres was, goes all the way back to Plato. And it's the idea that the spheres that the stars and planets are fixed to above us. They're constantly rotating with an immense celestial harmony that we on Earth cannot hear. But the music of the spheres is one of the things that we will hear when we die. That's the Platonic and Neoplatonic view. So if you've ever heard the phrase, the music of the spheres, and there are plenty of composers have written pieces called the music of the spheres, which is sort of like even beyond calm Toybin levels of of um, daringness. Um, so if you've ever, ever heard that phrase, that's what it refers to. It's the music of the muse of astronomy. Um, so, but Mozart prefers live music to a patron's humdrum spheres. So he likes live music. Where do you find live music? Where's the only person you can go for place you can go for live music? Earth. Yes. That's what he prefers, life, live music. Is this permitted, they ask? 
When you are Mozart, yes. He's living now? As what? A black rock star, whatever that is. Um, so that's who Mozart is, a black rock star. Um, elsewhere, we find out he's um, very likely Stevie Wonder. Um, there's another important joke here that, um, or, or thematic joke that I'll just tell you, since we probably won't have much time to go to look at this um, 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 network of um, things in the Book of Ephraim. But black rock here also means coal. And um, there's a lot of stuff here about burning, things being burnt, being charred, including ultimately the box that Tiberius wants burned at the start of the Book of Ephraim. Um, remember that they have to go to Capri and find this box and burn it. That's going to return at the end of the poem. Um, but there's the furnace, which doesn't work. Um, and um, there's an interesting pun on the idea of automatic fire, which refers both to machine gun fire, um, that is uh, firing with automatics within a war. That's how it will appear in the novel. But automatic fire is also what furnaces do. They turn on, they turn off. It, they provide automatic fire for a household. So let us not digress. Ours is a great white way of names in lights. What's the great white way? What does that refer to in normal parlance? That's a standard um, uh, name or nickname for Broadway, is the great white way, um, because it's just always lit up all the time. So ours is a great white way. Yeah, there's a reference to race there, and references to race become more and more important in the Book of Ephraim. Um, but first of all, it's Broadway. Ours is a great white way of names and lights. Byron, Pavlova, Billy Sunday, Job, Otto and Genghis Khan, Madame Curie. These are all the greatest figures among the dead. Hitler, too? Yes! Power's worst abusers are held, though, strictly incommunicado, cysts in the tissue of eternity. So my poor ruined love Caligula. So Hitler. Here on Earth, we rather feel such wise arrangements fail. The drug-addicted farms, Welkin the Strangler, plutonium waste eking out in steel rooms under sea, a half-life of 500 years, enough to set the doomsday clock. Yeah? Wait, yours is in steel rooms. Yeah, ours is what do you in, in ground steel rooms. A half-life of how many million years? Yeah, he, was, he found out he was wrong about the numbers. I'm, I'm reading you the first edition, and I'm always interested, actually, in changes, so thank you. Um, enough to set the doomsday clock, its hands our own, the same rose ruts, the reddest thorn cross hatchings, minutes nearer midnight. Do people know about the clock that the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists um, reset every few months um, to show how close to doomsday we are? So it's always a few minutes to midnight on the doomsday clock. Do you guys not know about this? Um, can you just get an image of that, doomsday clock? Um, and uh, bulletin atomic scientists. Uh, so just one sec, if you can. On which stroke, the stroke of midnight, powers at the heart of matter, powers we shall have hacked through thorns to kiss awake, will open baleful, sweeping eyes, draw breath, and speak new formulae of mega death. No souls came from Hiroshima, you know. Earth wore a strange new zone of energy 
caused by? Smashed atoms of the dead, my dears. News that brought into play our deepest fears. So the reason that the boldest, boldest prose reportage is called for that would reach the widest public in the shortest time. Yeah, just show people. Um, so every few months, they have a meeting in Washington. A friend of mine's actually on that committee. And looking at how things are in the world and whether Iran and North Korea are about to get nuclear weapons and missiles and so on, and whether Israel is going to bomb Iran, um, they move the minute hand a little closer, a little farther away from midnight to, <laughs> as a way of indicating how dangerous things are. Um, so at any rate, the important thing is agents can break codes to smithereens. Agents can destroy us completely so that we won't be reincarnated, we won't go to another world. All of humanity can be destroyed by nuclear energy, by the drug-addicted farms, by Love Canal, by all sorts of things that are destroying us at the very heart of our own matter, which is our genetic code. Spirits at the heart of matter like plutonium or uranium radioactive spirits can do this to what we are. And that is the most important jeopardy for the story of the Book of Ephraim. Okay, more tomorrow. If you haven't gotten through M, get through M. Professor? Uh-huh. I was going to ask, for the final paper, would it, do you think it would be a good 